0: Surprise, surprise, everybody. We are back with a special edition of Inside Inner County. I, Andrew the Stuntman Stewitz, am joined, as always, by my special... You're special to me. My special co-host, Chris the Laserbeam Lazar. Chris... A special edition of Inside Inner County. What brings us here today? Yeah, we didn't see that one coming, did we? No, we didn't. Um, In fact, we specifically said there won't be a second episode. Check us on Tuesday. LOL. Here we are. We were half right, though. Kind, kind of. There's no interview. Correct. There is no interview section today, but there are a number of hot topics that we wanted to get to because the, I guess, the landscape of... Inner County baseball is changing for some players, and there have been a handful of moves that we want to just throw at you today, bring you up to speed, and kind of utilize this platform for what it is. Where Chris, the veteran, and myself, the non-veteran, um, I'm just here to kind of bounce some questions off of Chris and kind of see what this, what all of these trades and moves mean for each team. So, without further ado, one team in particular. That sent one player away only to immediately sign another. The Well and Jackfish. They are saying goodbye to Brandon Nicholson. And they are saying hello to Alberto Guerrero. The Jackfish shaking things up. Chris, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, I, I'll be honest. Today was wild. Um, I haven't seen... Like a day like this last year, there were a couple moves. Um, sorry, I just messed up my my headphones. Um, last year, there were a couple moves that were significant in the IBL. Um, I was obviously moved. Justin Gideon went to Welland. Welland kind of loaded up last year, and it's not something that you have generally seen in the league. Is the um, the roster turnover that happens around this time of year? But I think as the league has gotten better and as the league has gotten more competitive, teams feel like the margins are so slim that anytime you can make any kind of changes um, that are positive to your roster and can address needs, there's no point in not doing them and they're going to find ways to do them. And Welland kind of set that trend last year, like I said, adding Gideon, uh, adding myself, which didn't work out as well as any of us had hoped for. That might have something to do with the fact that I couldn't throw a baseball very well after that. But, um, yeah, they've, uh, they've done a few things. Brandon Nicholson, and, and this kind of shows you how serious they are about going for a championship and really trying to win it all. Brandon Nicholson was a day one jackfish. He came into the league at the same time that Welland or that Burlington relocated to Welland. And he's been there ever since. Playing in almost every game uh, for that team since he got there. And, uh, and he's put up pretty respectable numbers, pretty good numbers. It, you you said it kind of as like a like a one for one transaction and that's essentially what it was, but it was a bit of a two-part uh, a two-part thing. Nicholson was moved to Hamilton and then after Nicholson was moved to Hamilton within hours uh, they signed Guerrero, the the pitcher from Panama. One thing that people need to understand about the IBL uh, as a league for anyone who's new to the league people who've been around know this, But there's a couple of important things to consider when we talk about anybody getting traded, first of all. Um, In the IBL, trades, essentially every player has a no trade clause. You cannot be traded anywhere that you don't want to go to. Um, So for Nicholson to go to Hamilton, he would have had to agree to go to Hamilton. Now, what teams will do sometimes is if they have something in place where They need to make a move like this. They will tell the player, hey, we have a deal in place with Hamilton where we're going to move you there. Um, If you don't want to go to Hamilton, then we're just going to outright release you and you can choose where you want to go. Nicholson okayed the move to Hamilton and that's why he's there now. So we'll talk about what this means for Hamilton a little bit later on. I guess we'll just stay on um, Nicholson and Welland for a little bit and talk about why They made this move, and this goes into the second part of what I was going to say in terms of this transaction and why they did it and why Nicholson happened to be the odd man out. Welland has a lot of outfielders right now. They have um, Morello, Hogan Brown. uh, They had, obviously, Nicholson. um, Caleb Feuerstake just got there. They have a couple other guys who can bounce around the outfield or infield. Porcelottos played out there a couple games. So their outfield is crowded and their, their pitching staff is a little bit weak, especially when it comes to starting pitching. The reason Nicholson was moved out is because the IBL's import rule. The IBL only, ha- you're only allowed to have four imports at a time in the IBL. And Welland had used all four imports, Davy Mendez, Brandon Nicholson, um, Jake Harford, and I'm drawing a blank on who the last one was, but... They had used all four, all four import spots, and with that in mind, in order to add an import arm, which is the easiest way to improve your pitching staff overnight, they had to move an import out, and because their outfield was loaded, it only made sense that Nicholson would be the one that gets moved. It's unfortunate. You look at Nicholson's numbers, and he's actually having a very good season, um, on par with his first season in the IBL where he hit. 293 as well Uh, down on stolen bases a little bit this year only has nine steals I think part of that is just that when you steal 48 bases in a year teams are going to take notice and they're going to do everything they can to make sure you can't do that anymore Um, so that's kind of the skinny on why Welland decided to move Nicholson
0: and does this make and again it's kind of tough make them a better team where does this kind of put them you know amongst other teams now, they're getting a pretty great arm in Guerrero. I mean, we watched this guy. uh, Fans would have watched him pitch recently um, in the... What friggin' World World Baseball Baseball Classic? Classic. I had to think about what tournament that was. The the World Baseball Classic. And he throws heat. Uh, He's got a lot of movement on his fastball. It throws gas. Um, Big boy. I mean... It seems like if Welland were and are wanting to address that pitching and kind of get more established, they're definitely making the right move there. How do they kind of feel outside of, like you said, taking that crowded outfield and taking that crowded kind of group and moving them around? Does it, Is there a way that they can replace that bat with somebody that's maybe already there, somebody who can step up, or... Uh, Do they think, and in a move like this, does this kind of, in your mind, make you think that they feel all good with the offense and just simply addressing a need?
1: Yeah, I'll I'll talk about kind of how this came down and the conversations I've had with people in the organization. And going back even as recently as a couple weeks, um, or as late as a couple weeks ago, as recently as yesterday, uh, I've had conversations with people in the organization who feel like, they're in terms of their lineup. They're almost too crowded with talent that it's hard to get everybody in um, and they feel like they have too much of the same profile and on the pitching staff, they need improvement when it comes to their starting pitching. That has been clear. That's been something that for the last couple weeks uh, was really highlighted, especially when Harford went down with injury. He really did carry a lot of that load. Uh, Jaffeen's work situation doesn't allow him to show up on weekdays, so he can really only pitch on Saturdays and Sundays. So that kind of limits him in terms of the flexibility when you do have a week where you might play Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. Uh, obviously, Jaffeen can only start the one game on the Sunday, he can't go on the Tuesday as well. Right. So they do need to find somebody who's there and not just someone who is serviceable and can come in and pitch, but a top end arm. Um, so in terms of their roster reshuffling, uh, I don't think they wanted to move Brandon Nicholson necessarily. I think it was more out of necessity. But at the same time, they feel like this might open things up to where now they do have a pretty set outfield where guys are going to be uh, understanding that they're, they're the guys, they're the starters right now. With Morello, Porcelotto, uh, Hogan Brown, fewer stake, those four kind of rotating in. When you add a fifth guy in there, especially when they're all so, so talented and all four, all five of those guys are talented, it makes it difficult to find time for them, and when you just rotating guys in and out all the time, and guys are sitting and, and stuff like that, it's hard to get into a rhythm. So, they feel like this won't necessarily hurt them, because not not because Nicholson's not a good player, but because it just frees up the rest of their roster. And as you had mentioned, the pitcher they're getting, Alberto Guerrero, he, he's a guy that they had been looking at for a while. Uh, I had heard that they were in conversation with him yesterday, I was told, um, by people in the organization that they were close, um, and then obviously today they announced it. Uh, he'll be coming in on Sunday. Uh, he probably won't pitch this weekend, I, I would assume not. Um, so, he'll be here Sunday, he'll probably pitch at some point next week. So, it's not one of those situations where they're waiting on a guy's visa. They have everything cleared, everything's done, and he can just come over and, and pitch. And... He's an impressive arm. He's a guy that they're really going to um, going to need to give them innings in a starting role. And he's got the chance to be dominant. Uh, Welland posted a video of him pitching in the World Baseball Classic, striking out guys like Didi Gregorius, who was a big league hitter. Um, went three and a third against them, struck out five, I believe.
0: Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was a five strikeout video.
1: Yeah, and he, sh- he showcased a 94-mile-an-hour fastball with run. All five of his strikeouts are on the fastball. Um, and so when you have a guy like that, you combine him with a Davy Mendez at the back end of the bullpen. Those are the kind of guys that win you the league. Um, every team that wins the championship has a, a starter, like a stud who you can throw out there. And you know he's going to go seven. He's going to give up one or two. Maybe. Um, London last year had Arias. The year before it was Owen Boone. Um, in a year where there were no imports, really. Um, 20, uh, 2018, Barry Baycats had Frank Garces. Barry always had St. Kitts, who would show up in the playoffs and just dominate. So every team that wins the championship has that ace, and Welland might have just found theirs. Uh, obviously, we're going to have to see what he looks like when he gets here. One of the causes for concern for him coming in, if there is something that we want to nitpick, is that When he pitched in the Mexican League this year, he did get let go because he walked too many guys. Uh, He has 21 walks this year versus 27 strikeouts. Not a super great ratio. Now you expect that strikeout number to pop coming to the IBL where he's not facing the level of quality hitters that he would in the Mexican League, but that walk number is somewhat concerning. That might be, again, he's facing better hitters and he's being more careful around the zone, whereas if he comes to the IBL, maybe he'll just attack, but if there is one thing to pay attention to as to why this might not work, and I do think it will work to for anyone who might be thinking otherwise, I think it'll work. But if there is one thing to pay attention to, it's the walks, and that is something that Welland has felt that they wanted to address. So that might not necessarily address that, which is why I also don't think that they're done.
0: And the other team that we've mentioned involved in this move, the Hamilton Cardinals, receiving... On the other end, Brandon Nicholson. What does that do for the Cardinals? How does how does he shake up their lineup a little bit?
1: So we'll take this in two parts. We'll talk about their lineup, and then we'll talk about them in the field. Um, Brandon Nicholson gives them a dynamic that they don't have right now. Um, a guy who is purely a speed guy, a guy you can put into the leadoff spot, and he'll set things up for their big hitters. They've been looking for someone to fill that leadoff spot, Rivera did it for a little bit, didn't have the most success. They've kind of shuffled guys in and out with Tristan Osika and Charlie Towers, guys who are probably better suited at the bottom end of the lineup. So what this does is it allows you to, it allows Hamilton to properly slot um, their players into roles where they're more likely to be successful. Um, Talking to, I spoke with manager Dean Costelli this morning. He told me that Nicholson is going to be leading off uh, at least the start. Obviously, you know, depending on how that goes, maybe he moves to two, maybe they shift somebody else up to the leadoff spot, but he'll be hitting in the top of that order uh, to start. From the defensive side of things, it's funny because we were just talking about how Welland has a crowded outfield. Hamilton's outfield is arguably even more crowded than Welland's. Uh, Nick, adding Nicholson now, that gives them five outfielders that are all very good. Um, Clayton Keyes, Tyler Duncan, their mainstays, they're not going anywhere. Uh, Jordan Shoffland, who they, they just added, um, import utility guy who went to University of Maine. He played left field for them against London on Saturday. He's kind of a two-way guy. Um, Danny Berg has had a pretty good season. He's he's a really fiery competitor, really really um, really scrappy player who you successful teams need guys like those. And then you have Brandon Nicholson. Now the one interesting part about this is Nicholson when he was in college was a shortstop and he was a middle infielder. And so you ask yourself, why would uh, general manager George Lee make this move? Well, they've been wanting to address their middle infield, right? From conversations I've had with them, they are, they, they have been looking to address that and they feel like that is an area of need for them. They don't feel like they have a pure shortstop on their roster, a guy who they can put there at short trust defensively and also contribute with the bat. Rivera, they feel, probably was more of a second baseman in that, in that spot. Um, thrusted into shortstop by necessity. Charlie Towers, same kind of idea. Um, Brandon Nicholson, a guy who does have experience playing Division I baseball as a shortstop, could come in, and, and it's been a few years, so we'll see how it goes. Um, but it's not like it's a it's a position that's unfamiliar to him. He's done it before. He moved to the outfield his last year of college. Um, and in the IBL, he's been in the outfield ever since. But again, this is a guy who growing up was a shortstop. In college, he was a shortstop. It's, he's, he's not going to go in there and be completely unfamiliar with the position. Um, Castelli told me that he's going to play both. He's going to play a little bit of short, he'll play a little bit of outfield. Again, kind of figuring out where he fits best. Expect some growing pains, obviously, the first couple games when he's at short. The guy hasn't played there in five years. Um, So if if he looks a little bit rusty, that's why. But Nicholson's a great athlete. Um, He's he's a really good teammate. uh, From playing with him last year, he'll do whatever the whatever the team needs him to do to be successful. Um, And I think this is going to be a good move for for both sides, and it's something that is going to address, even if it does. Let's say he goes into short and doesn't play well. Even if he ends up being an outfielder or a DH. Uh, whatever the case may be, he's going to help them offensively. So uh, overall, I think for Hamilton, it's a a no-brainer for them.
0: Well, they're certainly excited over there in Hamilton. I know that, what was it? I just read a quote from George, the GM. Just came out to basically speak about the attractiveness of a player like Nicholson strictly because of his quality and his accomplishments so far. So definitely some exciting stuff with those two teams kind of shaking things up. On the flip side, you have a London Majors team that has recently said goodbye to um, one of their, I guess, offensive players, a player who was contributing quite a bit of offense at the start of the season. In fact, they were named uh, Player of the Week uh, in May. Do you know who I'm, you know who I'm talking about? Already. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. London Majors catcher, Eduardo D. Oleo. Yes. Yeah, he's uh, no longer a major. What does that mean for for the catcher, and where can we maybe see him reemerge?
1: Um, so Deolío's issue was that he was hitting poorly at the end of his run, and the writing was kind of on the wall with with this one. Once they signed Chris Ruiz, uh, Chris Ruiz went in there, impressed on all levels in his first weekend with the London majors um, kind of made the Olio expendable, to be honest. Uh, yeah. The, he was, he was great his first week of the season, but the problem is the the season's not a week long. Right. Um, talking to some of their, uh, some of their players, they felt that he wasn't the best defensive catcher um, that defensively his, his game calling wasn't great. Uh, and all of those things, which might've also led to the demise of their pitching staff to this point. Uh, with the exception of Owen Boone, but you could um, you can immediately see the turnaround right last weekend throwing up a shutout against Welland on Friday, giving up four runs against Hamilton on the Saturday, and I believe those four runs all came in the same inning. Um, so yeah, Ruiz has gone in there and he's been he's been everything they could have possibly asked for. Unfortunately for Deolio, Ruiz has been everything they wanted Deolio to be, um, and unfortunately sometimes you just don't live up to that and in this league with only four import spots, you can't you can't use two spots on the same position, right? Like, right. Especially, especially catcher where there's no flexibility there. Um, you know, you can have a pair of outfielders, you can have a pair of infielders, you can't have two catchers. And so one of them was going to have to go, and it wasn't going to be the guy they just brought in to be a catcher um, who also was impressive in his first weekend.
0: Yeah, definitely tough to see from, like you said, a guy who... Started off really strong, showed a lot of promise, and, I mean, it would be a shame for us if the seasons were only a week long, but in his case, kind of wishing that went out on that high. But I'm sure if the opportunities arise, we could see him come back up with another team. I'm not sure where other teams might be at with all of their imports, um, but if uh, there's a chance, um, you can see... From his track record, he does have the opportunity and the sorry the the promise to be offensive. So who knows? Maybe a change of scenery for him um, somewhere down the road can offer that. Speaking of changing of scenery, that's right. The Kitchener Panthers they are looking to bring in an import. Speaking of import players, what can you tell me? And maybe what have you heard, Chris? About the Panthers' new import starter coming, can we expect that soon?
1: Yes. So Mark Pare, I want to say. I see the accent, so I apologize, Mark, if I get it wrong, if I get the name wrong. But um, he uh, he actually tweeted at us um, with information. He covers the Kitchener Panthers. He tweeted that sources tell him Cuban import pitcher Yadian Martinez looks to be about a week away from the Kitchener Panthers debut. His visa is approved, and hopefully he'll be in Canada in about a week. So with that information, we spoke last podcast actually about Kitchener's lack of pitching depth. If anything, this is going to help that, right? We don't know what he has until he gets here. The one thing I will tell you is as long as I've been in the league, the Cubans that Kitchener brings in are not scrubs. They bring in good arms Um, going back a couple years to – a guy like Miguel Lajara to a guy like uh, Noel Vicentenza, who was here for a while. Um, guys who pitch on the Cuban national team. I know the guys in Kitchener have been really excited about Martinez for a while and they've been hoping that he could come over. Um, so again, t- time will have to tell how, how he looks, but now they, it looks like they're going to have a three man rotation with Hauk Martinez and uh, their other Cuban lefty. So, It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that works. That should also improve their bullpen because it'll allow them to move a guy like Jacob Douglas into the pen who has been effective at times this season. Um, so, yeah, t- time will tell what, what that looks like. But, yeah, they expect him to be here in a week, which means he'll probably be pitching by the end of next weekend if everything goes well.
0: Well, there was supposed to be a game tonight between the Panthers and the Leafs. For those of you who don't know, that game has been postponed, as the city has closed the field due to inclement weather. So, game not happening tonight, and um, there's no, there's not a whole lot, not a whole lot you can do there. Um, we uh, we move. You know, we move. Games games will happen. Games will not.
1: Honestly, um, we've been really fortunate this year in the IBL. Uh, usually by this time of year, there are a ton of. Um, Rainouts, especially in May, we've been really fortunate to not have any, except when Kitchener's involved. Kitchener seems to be involved in every rainout this year.
0: So, and, and I, I, I could go, I could go and say that maybe the gods are doing Toronto a favor because they don't want Kitchener smoke. Now, who knows what I've just done? And...
1: Now, if you said that yesterday, if you said that before yesterday, you would have, yeah, uh, you would have prophesized exactly what you said, that every prediction you have is wrong. Is because wrong, Toronto did beat Kitchener they sure last did. night. And, some- and, and one more point, sorry, one more point on that. Um, talking about Kitchener getting all these rainouts. The thing that makes this really difficult in a league like this is that the league is scheduled to have three games every single week. Occasionally you'll have four. The problem with this is that when when you start to have rainouts that build up on each other, the the season gets shorter the longer it goes, which means there's less dates to reschedule to. That means Kitchener might find themselves in a situation where they got to play four games one week, four games the next or five games in a week. Even Uh, when I was in Hamilton a few years ago, we had so many rainouts in May. We ended up playing, I think, five, five games in six days um, and like seven games in 10 days or something like that. So those really add up. And especially for a pitching staff that we've said isn't the deepest uh, that could definitely take a toll. So the arrival of Martinez uh, could not come at a better time for them. No kidding.
0: Yeah, I didn't actually know that about how you're right, the season would get shorter and teams then are in a situation of Oh crap. Now we're having to play a bunch more games at the end of the year when we're trying to maybe get healthy or maybe we're trying to, you know, rest some guys and get ready for the playoffs. Now there is no getting ready, but as we've seen in other sports, double-edged sword, sometimes that works out because mm-hmm. you can catch fire and you turn into a playoff welland where you win 14 in a row and yeah. those 14 just happen to be the last few games of the season and then every single playoff game uh, going forward. Now, we just talked about the Maple Leafs and they played last night, but they've they've got two newbie or sorry, one newbie, um, if I'm not mistaken, in Evan Elliott. Uh, he signed with Toronto and pitched last night a scoreless inning in his debut. Also, Dustin Richardson. Richardson pitched Undertaker. The Undertaker. A, the underta- Yo, is that actually his nickname? Yep, The Undertaker. Oh, man. Well, welcome Dustin Richardson to a future episode of Inside Inner County because... His walkout
1: the- song is The Bells. It's The Undertaker. It's The Undertaker. And if you watched him pitch in this league, you'd understand why.
0: By God, by God, he's killed him. He's broken him in half.
1: That's That's, crazy. That's how guys feel when they come to the plate against him. He is, the way we talk about Davey Mendez, the game is over when he comes in the game. When The Undertaker comes in the game, the game is over.
0: Dang. Well, what can you tell me a little bit more about The Undertaker and Evan Elliott as they, you know, were dominant last night in a Toronto win
1: so we'll start with Richardson Um, Richardson has been in the league for a few years right and he has been like we mentioned he's been absolutely dominant a lefty who pitched for the Boston Red Sox once upon a time Um, he is from Kansas but he is a Canadian uh, arm so he doesn't use an import spot Um, he completely changes their bullpen like their bullpen Last year, they missed him a little bit. He was hurt uh, in the playoffs last season, so they didn't have Dustin Richardson at his best. Unfortunately, with where they were at with their rotation, they needed him to start. And he just, he, he hasn't done that in a long time. And so because of that, he had some arm issues, some forearm tightness, things like that, that didn't allow him to be himself. But he came back. Last night was his first outing, and he was, as you mentioned, he was he was outstanding last night. Pitching in the eighth inning, not the ninth, um, but it was actually the biggest point of the game because they had just taken an eight to five lead, and he comes in against one of the better offenses in the league, and he completely shuts them down. So he uh, he's definitely a welcome a welcome addition to a pitching staff that desperately needs a guy like that in the back of their bullpen. We saw Toronto at the start of the year blow a bunch of games um, late because they just didn't have the arms. When Richardson's on the mound, they will not be doing that. He will be dominating the back end of games. And as we mentioned, the way we talk about Davey Mendez, that's how people have talked about Richardson for longer than that. I remember seeing Richardson in, I think it was 2018 when he was with Toronto. I think that was his first year. He came into a playoff game when Toronto was down, or sorry, Toronto was tied uh, in the game, but down in the series. Uh, two to one in a best of five, and it was winner go home for them in Guelph in front of uh, pretty much sold out Hastings Stadium. And Richardson went in there in like the sixth inning, and a guy who had thrown one or two innings all year, he goes out there and he throws five scoreless innings. I don't think he gave up a hit against the pretty good Guelph lineup at the time, and that was like you you could feel it, like you could feel that Guelph was just begging that they didn't give up a run. For long enough to, for Richardson to come out of the game, and he just never did. Um, there was a similar game in the in the finals against London in 2021 when Richardson went super deep into extra innings. I think they ended up going like 15 innings or something uh, in a Toronto elimination game. Same idea. Game four, down two to one in the series of a best of five, and he was stayed in the game long enough for Sean Riley to hit a walk off homer. So he he's one of those guys that come playoff time. You, you don't want to be on the other side of that.
0: Well, the Maple Leafs were... I guess they have been busy. I mean, they've got Evan Elliott now, the right-hander, like we just said. Dustin Richardson. But they also added uh, Julian Tomochko?
1: Timo- Julian Tomochko. Tomochko.
0: Yes. See, I'm I'm going to butcher those until we, Timochko, we get Timochko, them out. Tomochko, it's close enough. But he, another right-hander. And also... I don't know if we talked about it. I don't, I can't remember now, even if just from a few days ago, but, um, they were kind of surprised to see former IBL MVP, all-star and leaf manager, Garrett Takamatsu.
1: That whole leaf manager thing was so funny last year. So quick story time. Cause you weren't part of the, you weren't part of the league. Last I year. was not. Um, so they've introduced a rule that we can pretty much call the Garrett Takamatsu rule. Um, This year, so last year, Takamatsu went to the Frontier League and he came back um, late. So they released him to play in the Frontier because you can't be signed in both places at once. So Toronto released Garrett uh, to go to Quebec, went and played there, was going to come back for the playoffs. Um, I believe he got, I don't know if he got cut or if he was hurt or what the case was, but anyway, he was back in Toronto. And they wanted him to play. He'd been in the a- playoffs.
0: inactive due to an injury for a while. Yes. And, Don't know um, if that had contributed, but...
1: Yeah, so he came in and um, he wanted to play. But the league, unfortunately, had a rule saying that, you know, the signing deadline is what it is. And if you're not on the active roster at the time of the signing deadline, you're ineligible to play in the playoffs. And so, unfortunately, there was nothing that Takamatsu could do even though he had technically qualified before leaving. So in the IBL to qualify for the playoffs, you need a certain amount of plate appearances and a certain amount or a certain amount of innings pitched. Um, I think this year it's 25 plate appearances for hitters. So because of that, and Welland actually had the same thing, Scott Gillespie uh, was going to come back after the exact same situation happened. And Welland and Toronto were vying for them both to be allowed back in the playoffs. And it was unfortunate because if you're like as a league, you want your MVP to play in the playoffs, right? Like you don't want that guy to not be allowed to play. But because of the rules, they weren't. He wasn't allowed to play. Um. So kind of as a, um, I don't know if it was as like a slight to the league or what the case may be. Topley still did everything. Uh, he was he was the manager he still did everything like he still managed he still like made the lineup card made the pitching decisions all that stuff but they assigned Takamatsu as the manager so he could be a part of their playoff run um incredible yeah so the Takamatsu rule this year is as long as you qualify for the playoffs before you leave um or before the deadline even if you're not on the active roster you are allowed to come back and participate in the playoffs as long as you qualify. So Takamatsu, for example, he might go back to Quebec, but if he gets the 25 plate appearances in Toronto and then comes back at the end of the season, let's say Quebec misses the playoffs and Ta- and, and Tack comes back, he will be allowed to play. But a guy like Justin Gideon, who hasn't been in the league all season, uh, if the same situation were to happen, he won't be allowed to participate in the playoffs because he won't have the plate appearances to match up the reason Tack is here right now is on a quote-unquote rehab assignment, uh, for lack of a better term. He has been battling an injury, as you mentioned, and so that's why he's back in Toronto right now, is to rehab that and also to hit that threshold. So, um, yeah, he's a he's a really really strong player, as you mentioned, IBL MVP, um, and they're really happy to see him. And they should be adding Marcus Connect at some point too. Like that lineup's just getting scarier and scarier. Uh, Tomachka was signed over or almost a month ago. Yeah. Hasn't gotten into many games. Unfortunately, he, he's one of those guys who's always kind of struggled with control. Um, now that might be a thing that he just needs more reps, but again, it's the chicken and the egg when you're, when you're a coach, right? It's, does he need more innings to throw strikes or does he just not throw strikes? And so I can't pitch him as much, you know? Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens with him. Evan Elliott recently got cut. He's still young. I think he's only 23 years old. He recently got let go by the Texas Rangers after getting off to a really tough start this season, only through three and a third inning, walked eight guys. So he has had control problems pretty much his entire minor league career. Um, now maybe coming to this league where again, you're not facing the same level of competition. He can be more aggressive and he can attack the strike zone, but He's still a bit of a project. Really hard throwing guy. He throws he he throws mid nineties, uh, low to mid nineties. So Toronto has a few dudes in on that team that throw absolute cheese between Elliot Procopio, uh Tomachko's gotten up to ninety one in the past, um, and the Undertaker. So they're uh, they are loading up ahead of the deadline. Uh, Jeff lounsbury has been
0: busy. Well, I think they're doing it the right way, adding the veteran, the Undertaker to, I guess, mentor and as the uh, as Mark Calloway, the WWE undertaker would, you know put it, he, he's mentoring the younger talent. He's kind of fostering them along. now, Richardson's not gonna put any of these guys over, if you know what I mean. <laughs> as in if you're not pitching well, he'll come in and he'll take your spot. That's no problem. But I don't
1: think he's gotta take anybody's spot. That uh, guy has his he's spot got established. Spot. No kidding. Shout out the Bushman. I think the Bushman might have came up with that nickname for him. I can't remember exactly. I know they refer to him as that. So uh, well, I don't know if they came up with that, but we'll find out.
0: I'll get in touch with the Bushman. I'll yeah. send them a DM. The Leafs are going to be busy. Um, They were supposed to play five games in six days. It's going to work out to be about four games in five days now or something along those lines with the cancellation of tonight's game against Kitchener. But nonetheless, making some moves. Teams are getting better. Teams are getting, you know, already playoff ready.
1: It looks like a bit of an arms race this year, which is interesting because we've never had one of those in this league. Um, Teams have always added a couple guys here and there, right? Like Richardson even the last couple of years usually comes around this time of year. Um, we weren't sure if he was going to come back this year, but it does look like, like everybody at the top, especially is kind of loading up for, for a playoff run here. So signing deadlines, July 25th, 19 days away. Um, yeah, don't expect this to be, uh, to be done. I've also heard from, from a source I tweeted earlier, uh, Welland's not done. Expect a move from them fairly soon. um, to uh to try to again address some things on their roster. It might be an addition, it might be a subtraction, uh, in order to help set them up for something later on down the road. So um, yeah, lots happening in the
0: IBL this week. Yeah, about fifteen days away from the deadline, like you said, right? The twenty fifth? So you yes, just said nineteen eight? days. Nineteen days. I I'm, <laughs> I'm not very good at math. That's okay. That's all right. It's been a long day. It'll be exciting to bring everybody a July 25th episode though of the pod.
1: It's a little bit like the um it's a little bit like the NHL trade deadline unfortunately though, where like deadline day usually isn't super busy. Right. But around the deadline it looks like this year is going to be busy. So we'll see. Well, but we will we will bring an episode around that time to recap all of the moves and see what everyone's final roster looks like.
0: And of course, don't um I guess don't be afraid to check in on our socials. Social. Twitter. Twitter's the main one. I haven't moved us to Instagram or anything else yet, but... That's okay. We'll we'll, get there. Okay, we'll stay on Twitter right now. We'll get there. At InsideIBLPod on Twitter.
1: I also tweet out a lot of uh, of stuff from my personal account when it comes to um, transactions and information and things like that. If you want something that's completely up to date and don't want to have to wait for the podcast, follow me at Chris underscore Laser8. That's
0: L-A-Z-E-R. And then the number eight. And I often will retweet all of those awesome updates. So if you really <laughs> just want a full trio of plethora of, of stuff, you can, follow, plug. you can follow my shameless plugged uh, personal account at Stuart's a Yeah, there's a mouthful. At S-T-U-E-T-Z-A. The capital letter A.
1: I didn't feel shameless doing
0: that plug. I kind of did. Yeah. Mine did. Oh. That's all okay. right. We're not getting paid for this anyway.
1: We might as well get a couple more followers.
0: Maybe one day we Maybe can... Maybe one day. You know, uh, Inside Inner County brought to you by Manscaped. <laughs> but I... Hey,
1: no free advertisements no on the show. No free advertisements. Manscaped, if you're listening, let if us know. If you're listening. Let us know. Let's partner.
0: Any other news or any other little tidbits that you wanted to wrap up with today? Any news out of out of Chatham or... Any Chatham's chat- got a new team name. Chatter and Chatham. Chatter and Chatham. What's going I on? hate the
1: fact that you keep saying that, but I
0: <laughs> guess it's gonna it's gonna stick. What's the chatter?
1: You know what's funny is you said you weren't gonna say that anymore, and then you put it in the description of the episode. Unreal. Um Ooh, we'll, I did. <laughs> we'll 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 stay with uh with Chatham. The Chatham Barnstormers is what I've been told will be the team name. Um there is a story behind that. Um I don't want to butcher it. Because it was a conversation that I had a few weeks ago um, about the name, and I don't want to do it any uh, disservice, but I'm very interested to see what the logo looks like, what the uniforms look like. Um, so yeah, Chatham Barnstormers. That's what it. That's what's been told to me. I really hope that's right because I haven't seen anything on the socials, but I've been told that they went live with it, and that's what they said. Um, right. So. Uh, yeah, if I get that wrong, I'm sorry to anybody in Chatham, but I'm, I'm
0: fairly certain I got it from a pretty good source. So the The Chatham Barnstormers. The Barnstormers. Well, Chris, if that's all for you, that's definitely all for me. That's all for me. Wonderful. Well, we've brought you a couple of moves happening inside the IBL since our last episode and just throughout this week. So make sure you give us a rating or a review on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you find your podcasts, you can find inside Inner County on all of those platforms. Don't be afraid to rate and review. And of course, you can follow us on our personal socials or on our podcast Twitter account at inside IBL Pod. That is at Inside IBL Pod. For myself, the stuntman, Andrew Stewart's—that that is Chris, the laser beam, Lazar. That does it for the two of us here on Inside Inner County. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, we'll catch you Monday. We're going to Mondays now. Mondays. Yeah. Wow. We're going to Mondays now. Way to leave the big programming note for yeah, the very I feel last like, thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll tweet it out or something. But hopefully you stuck around long enough. That's good news if you know that it's Monday. Well, we I'll start the attention. outro
0: now. That way people don't... Yeah. Leave the episode early, yeah, there we go, all right, well, in that case, Mondays, Mondays, Yeah. Ciao, for now see you guys Monday.